Hey guys, it's Ken. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Legendarium Podcast. We wanted to let you know up front we had a little bit of problems, some popping sounds, some clicking in and out, basically the hardware and the software not talking well. Craig says I forgot to feed the hamster. I'll get that taken care of. But in the meantime, the content is still good. We hope you enjoy it and thanks for tuning in. The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome. welcome. To, to the, the legendarium. The the expletives in this book are fantastic, by the way. Oh, I love them. There, there were some great. new combinations. Yeah. You can tell it's written for teenagers, so their parents wouldn't read the book and be like, nope. Right. Oh, it was a there there teenagers were... and Megan. Welcome to the Legendarian Podcast. This is episode 191, and we are reviewing Red Rising by Pierce Brown. I am Todd Wente, your host for this episode. We are continuing our experiment. Uh, so far, you guys have not hated this, so uh, we'll keep doing it as long as you don't hate it. Um, and if you start to really like it, then, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get even more confident about what it is that we're doing. Uh, speaking of we, let me just remind you of the panel that we have. Uh, we have our resident hell diver. Ken Johnson. I like that name yeah. so much. I, I, I figured you'd appreciate <laughs> that one. Suits you. And the effervescent and melodious Megan Smythe. Hey, everybody. Yeah, That's she's gonna she's gonna have nice things to sing at us. I'm sure. Hopefully, none of them will cause any of us to die. We're all pinecone cousins. Here. Yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, little bit of housekeeping, as all, as most of you are probably familiar. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Legendarium is where you can go to support the show. Uh, if you would like to support us in other ways or perhaps uh, make a one-time donation, you can certainly do that via PayPal or Venmo. You would look for us on thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Reddit, thelegendarium.reddit.com. We're nearing the 1,000 mark. Last I heard, it was 958. Uh, and Craig, Craig actually told us as we started this that he is endorsing the Russian bots doing all that they possibly can. Keep up the good work. Make us look good on Reddit. Um so you are aware, last thing that I want to say as far as housekeeping, uh, so you are aware we will be, we are planning to continue Pierce Brown's uh, Red Rising series and kind of follow this one through. So, and I'm trying to remember, is it three or four, it's five It's up to books? five now. Is it five books now? Well, it's, it's. Oh, the fifth has been announced. Right. It's, they have three no. in the original trilogy and then he has a secondary trilogy that he it's he's he's working on the second one now and it's it's going to be published next year okay so we'll at least get through the first trilogy and then we'll probably make a decision we've got so many uh we've, we've got so many other things that we are looking at for our team and for the other things going on here at the legendarium that it's very likely we'll get through the first trilogy and then we'll reevaluate and see where we want to go from there um by the way craig kyle and ryan are uh beginning gentleman bastard i think i said that last time and they did something else instead so obviously they don't keep me in the loop as much as they uh, probably <laughs> should yeah um that's just one of those deals uh red rising but so, this next time definitely definitely sure. yeah and ken you're you're on that one as well right? i'm not but you might hear my dulcet tones at the beginning once in a while. Oh, really? I'm just, uh, yeah. I don't want to throw out, you know, spoilers or teasers or anything. But I'm just saying. Well, for those of you who happen. like, for those of you who like Ken's rapid roundups, uh, I think that's becoming something kind of, uh, kind of predictable. We're looking forward to that today as well. They're fun to do. 
So let's talk a little bit about Red Rising. Colonizing and terraforming a new planet, even a relatively nearby one like Mars, has long been fodder for sci-fi authors. In Red Rising, we are introduced to a stunning story of what things might be like if the determination of who does the hard work and who reaps the rewards were assigned as part of a rigid caste structure, one where democracy is dead, the highest societal virtue is obedience, and challenging the status quo is likely to end in a quick and violent death. That was my. That was how I tried to describe to somebody the book that I was reading when I was <laughs> That's about when right. I was sitting down and and going through page after page after page. Yeah. They were like, "What? What is what has captivated your attention?" I said, "If you don't shut your gory damn mouth, I will end you." <laughs> and it was. It was. Then they looked at me very strange. And walked away as they always do. Um, Ken, you have... The, the expletives in this book are fantastic, by the way. Oh, I love them. There, there were some great. new combinations. Yeah. You can tell it's written for teenagers, so their parents wouldn't read the book and be like, nope. Right. Oh, it was a... There, there teenagers were and Megan. Several, several moments that were entertaining in this one. Ken, do you have a rapid fire review for us to start us off? I might. All right, here we go. So, Red Rising follows Darrow, a low-cast red helldiver who works as the best helium-3 miner on Mars, who's working to turn the red planet into a habitable ball for the more fortunate higher-cast grays and golds. He's one of the cocky flyboys of the Mars drilling community who believes his hard work is paving the way for a bright future for humanity. But, while Darrow idealistically works to start the reactor and free Mars, he swiftly learns that the, his family can't possibly win this rigged game, which leads to the execution of his red liberation fanatic wife which in turn leads to him getting killed in response but death proves to make him the perfect tool for an actual rebellion when he's drafted into the sons of Ares, who show him that mars has already been colonized for years and reds are not pioneers but basically slaves to the greater solar system colonization machine so the sons of Ares promise to turn him into a top of the food chain gold where he will spearhead a super long con to gain rank and influence ultimately leading to the downfall of the entire caste society they change him physically, they make him a gold superhero, teach him all the societal tricks, and enroll him in the Institute where he has to survive a giant pampered gold teen space deathmatch. It's kind of like My Fair Lady meets Lord of the Flies in space, toss in a little Hunger Games for good measure, and you pretty much got your punch and casserole. Turns out the Institute is just a giant game of risk for LARPers, and it's also rigged in the favor of the fop pixie kid. Yeah. It's also rigged in the favor of the fop pixie kid who's some major governor's son, but success leads to betrayal as Jero kills his way into the LARP risk draft. It ends up with him being best friends than bitter enemies with the brother of his first victim, but Darrow learns from his mistakes, thinks outside the box, and makes a proud, practical, but not very honorable lot of friends instead of subjects, and then runs into little guerrilla warfare against two of the bigger warhouses and their patrons, throwing civilized society into total chaos, Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. I was waiting for you to say that. Yes. As he said. Culminating with Darrow getting recruited into the Fop Pixies family, becoming his dad's new favorite son, dating his sister, and putting himself in prime position to forward the Sons of Ares' plans. So, exactly how awkward will this blood feud become with uh, Bellona and Augustus? How does this aid the Sons of Ares' cause? What exactly or how exactly, I should say, excited are you to get into space now that this ground war is over? 
who's your favorite character? That's that's pretty much the rapid roundup. I don't have a good tag out for it, but uh, let's get to discussing. You know what? I am so glad that you threw in dogs and cats living together. I was, I was actually I'm real anticipating that, and you started saying it, and I was just like, I've I've been hanging out with you just the right amount of time. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. It, so. it was it was too easy, but come on, it's obvious. It's, it's so great. It's a good one. It's, right. it's evergreen. Well, before we get into um, before we get into some things like a little bit of background on our author and more some more in depth analysis and review on the book, let's let's talk about initial reactions. Megan, what was your initial reaction? How do you feel about this book? Um. So. I'm not the kind of person who likes to be told what to do. And there's a little bit of revolt in me when everybody's like, okay, this is the book we're reading. And I'm like, I don't, Oh wait, I don't sorry, get Megan, are you okay? If we, <laughs> <laughs> Megan's uh, revolting. It's too late. It's a Slytherin part of me. I just, eh. But I am fully able to say when I am wrong in resisting because I really, really enjoyed this book. Like okay. even two or three pages into it, I thought, okay, this this is interesting. I didn't have any expectations going into I don't know if any of us had read this previously. I'd never read it. Um, but I I don't know. I think it's a really cool concept. I like the imagery in it. Um, I was weirdly able to associate it with my own life in a lot of ways. Um, really? So, yeah, we don't, we don't have to go into that yet. This is just my initial observation. I may or may not have been really angry at several times reading this book. Oh. Okay. I'm well, interested. Angry in a good way. Angry in a yes, I agree with the main characters. Okay, okay. Not angry as in the Todd established... and Ken better watch out for themselves because <laughs> establishment we're sucks. Bad. Yeah. Okay, okay. Ken, how about you? She's so anti establishment. I am now. <laughs> I uh I liked it a lot. I liked getting into I, I like the scientific or the science fiction aspect of it. We don't get a lot of science fiction stuff after we get past like Mar after we get past his his red um, upbringing, so ba basically after part one, we don't get in a lot of science fiction stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. but the stuff we do get, I like the fact that he he throws it out there with names. Just you know, here here are some names, and you're just kind of expected to understand. I don't know the, exactly how this works, but you kind of pick it up and run with it and go, okay, I I, I get it a little bit. And he just he just kind of expects you to understand this is how things are. So you're Go saying with like it. you you need to have a basic idea of who the Roman gods are. I love that, by the way. I, you want me to like something? I do too. Throw in Roman gods or Greek gods, and I will automatically be a sucker for it. So okay. uh, the okay. fact that they Noted. use a dozen the the dozen prime gods to to make houses, I'm like, okay, this is cool for me, you know. But literally so, overthrowing Olympus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we are we're come back. we're so overthrowing great. Olympus. We are going to come back. But I'm, I'm talking about stuff like okay, talk about the grav lifts. Well, uh -huh. if you're going to use the grav lift, you got to put your feet under the rail. He just kind of throws it out there, expecting it makes sense, and then he explains why it makes sense later. But uh. stuff like that, it doesn't go into a lot of exposition. It doesn't go into a lot of this is this because this technology, blah blah, and weigh it down with. It, it just lets the author, it lets the reader's imagination go, and I like that about okay. science fiction, well, especially yeah. this one. And I like that I, I like that because it assumes that the reader is smart, or it can put it yeah, together. Yeah, or, or can at least extrapolate. Yeah, yeah you're you're a part of this story now. You you, you get to enjoy it. You picked up as this book. Obviously, you have enough smarts to understand where I'm yeah. going to throw you, and let's just run. Yeah. Yep. Okay. What yeah. were your thoughts, Todd? Um, you know, thank you for asking. Um, yeah. I, I liked it. Um, and, and obviously we're going to talk a little bit more about why I liked it. It's been a long time for me since a book has grabbed me in the first uh, five or six pages mm -hmm. and, and felt like I was willing to run this whole run 
and and just and just dove into it. Um, I think I between uh, between listening and reading, I went through the entire book in uh, four days, uh, and that was for for me as far as my schedule. That's that's uh, pretty astounding. It means that there was a yeah. lot of sleep lost and a lot of more important details of my life that were completely ignored for a period of time, um, which it is. However, having said that, um, I do not think this is a book that everyone will like. I think that I will be very careful about who I recommend this book to. Um, I'm, I'm very, I'm also very aware that, um, there are some holes. There are some weaknesses that I have about this particular book. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about those a little bit as we go. Um, so yeah, I like the book. Okay. I'm not sure that I am going to become a Stark Raving fan, um, but I but I think I'm going to enjoy the run as we go the rest of the way through this initial trilogy. Sure. Okay. Um, Megan, I had asked you to come up with a little bit of information for us about the author. Sounds like you've already done some uh, and shared a little bit with us as far as where things are at with some of the rest of the work. What else can you tell yeah. us about, uh, about Mr. Brown? Pierce Brown. There's not actually a ton to say about him so far. He's 30. He's I may 30. or may not be okay. a little okay. jealous. <laughs> I feel um, <laughs> I, I feel very much I feel like, like I want to die. I at have this had moment. I've done nothing with my life, and he has written four very successful books. I'm really on a well. podcast reviewing the successful books of a person who is closer in age to my children than he is to me. Thank you. It's I feel fine. so much better about myself. I'm but sorry. I have an Infinity Maybe Gauntlet mug, and I'm I'm drinking out of my Infinity Gauntlet mug. So all of it, <laughs> all of which is a long way to say we're old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> he is an American writer. Um, this is the Red Rising series was his first series. And he oh, now maybe I shouldn't tell you this because it'll just make you feel worse. No, but he kind ahead, of wrote ahead. it as an exercise while he was in between jobs. He like spent two months writing this book and was rejected, you know, a ton like fantasy fiction writers are. As he should be. Um, because it, he because was, he needs he, his stripes. He needs to right? build up his scar tissue. Right. Yep. Yep. I mean, he had other odd jobs before he wrote this, but he... um. Uh, yeah, so he, he has the three in this initial Red Rising series, Red Rising, Golden Sun, and Morning Star, and then, um, he has a second series that's, a t that's, um, continues the story, as I understand it, please correct me if I'm wrong, um, that continues the story, so he has that first book out, it came out this year, and then the next one will come out next year, and he's also planning on writing a prequel series. Oh, a prequel series, uh -huh. okay. Huh? Please don't do what George Lucas did. I, I don't think he would do that. Let's hope not. Charger Binks should not be allowed to show up on Mars. I don't know. He would have been really young when the when the <laughs> prequel trilogy came out. So tangent really quick because this a lot of uh of of our listeners and a lot of our Reddit users and everything compared this to Hunger Games. It it just got me all of a sudden realizing, you know, I'm I'm kind of surprised that Susan Collins, Suzanne Collins, what's her name? Is that her name? Suzanne? Uh, I think so. The Hunger Games writer. That I'm surprised that she hasn't come out with a prequel series yet. Uh, you know, I mean, she's got nothing else. That, yeah, you know, it's, maybe it's, she doesn't want to do anything else. Maybe it's it's always interesting to see where That's, authors go with the with the choices that they make about their material. Sometimes the the choice of writing the story that precedes the story is just not what they want to do. So with George Lucas, it was something that he was passionate about and almost killed the the series for many of the rest of us. Yeah. But yeah. but well executed, especially if it. Um, we've seen some other ones, and in fact, one of the ones that uh, that I've spoken about a lot is Brian Herbert's work on Dune, which is a prequel. Uh, his his work to prequel Dune, 
which is stunning and absolutely fantastic. So, you know, sometimes it works really well. Sometimes it doesn't. Hopefully in this case, Pierce Brown is going to be very successful with it and put it together in a compelling way that doesn't leave us feeling like, oh, we're just, we're just marking time until yeah. we get to a spot that we recognize. I apologize. Yeah. I misspoke. It's a graphic novel and he's, he's, it's already out. Oh, oh great. So it's. It's there if y'all want to look it up. Hey, maybe we'll maybe we'll take a look at that. that it's got color pictures. I'm us. in. Red Rising, Sons of Aries. Ooh, that could be fun. Oh, nice. Right? It's a good title. So, so sorry, I didn't mean to derail, no, but that just made me think. No, it's okay. That's cool. You know what? You've already brought something up that I wanted to talk about a little bit, and that is the comparisons that we see in this one. Hunger Games you brought up. We've already talked about Lord of the Flies. Um, those comparisons are pretty easy to make, right? Yeah. We've, we've got we've well, got teenage I read Lord of the Flies. I'm sorry. Really? Yeah. Wow. I I got an English degree in college, but I managed to not read Moby Dick or Lord of the Flies. Wow. Or To Kill a Mockingbird. So, Ken, do you want to Did give... you read anything you... for your English degree? <laughs> I read a lot of Milton and Shakespeare. Milton and Shakespeare. Of course you did. You got an English degree, not an American literature degree. Um Yeah, my American literature class was all H.P. Lovecraft. But I digress. Wow. Okay. Okay. We may yeah. we may awesome. pick that up. We may pick that up. That we should. should that October should probably be something around. we talk about. Halloween, you know. <laughs> so go ahead. Ken. Um, the other one that it makes the the, the book somebody makes a uh, a comparison to is Ender. Yeah, Ender's he, game. Ender. Yeah, it makes a comparison to of Darrow to Ender Wigan because he you know comes in shakes up the system and. Oh boy! Yes, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that is Craig hanging around with Craig's, us. Craig's hanging around. He's, he's working. He's uh, he's working on other things, but he can't resist heckling us just a little bit, which is is perfectly acceptable. Uh, we're going to ignore him as much as possible. Um, so, do we the 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 comparison between the Hunger Games and this is is quite different. The setups are very different in the Hunger Games. It's all about pitting children against each other for the benefit of these of the districts. Right. And the point is, you are the last man standing. Everybody else dies. Can we uh, I, I want to go to a Redditor really quick because we've got a few Reddit questions about this. Which OK, yeah, we love him. We love having the Reddit questions. Please continue. Submit. You know, we'll try to keep the discussion going on on the Reddit and everything. Uh, library laboratory or laboratory. Laboratory. I, Says there are obviously many similarities to the Hunger Games, but what were the details that made it better? Katniss and what's his face had a lot of similarities. I like Katniss and what's his face, Darrow. So let's a, let, let's give what's his face a name, shall we? Darryl. Let's call him Darrow. But I, I like what's his face too. Had, made a lot of similarities, but we all seem to like him better. Was it because he was male? That's not how I felt, but it's hard not to compare them that way since they're so similar was it the sci-fi element that made it fun i loved it but in the same way as i loved twilight and harry potter when i was 11 they're just super fun and enjoyable no use analyzing them was it was it the male female uh difference was um it... i i think it the story is so different because i i mean i i just said that in the hunger games the whole point is that you're supposed to kill everyone else it's survival of the fittest yeah and in um, what do they call this? The Academy? The Institute. the Institute. The Institute. The point is not to kill, but to conquer. And that's one of the quotes that I, I don't know, mentally highlighted, put right, a yeah. sticky killing, note next to. Killing may happen, but the, the point is yeah, to win. That's, not that's to... not the point. You had Titus and he just wanted to kill and plunder. And that that doesn't really, I mean, you can conquer that way, but it doesn't really create a civilization. It doesn't create a society. Right. And part of what I really like about Daryl is that he 
continues to learn from others. Like he he talks to um, Mustang and she's saying, you know, you, you have to treat these people maybe not as your equals, but you need to um, let them be a part of this, feel like they're contributing and feel like they matter. Right. There's a fascinating piece of this, that, at least for me, it was fascinating, that is is all about the discovery. You remember that one of the things that Darrow talks about is that the the intention of the Institute is to help the Golds understand how their ancestors came to power by retracing all of civilization as they had known it. Mm -hmm. They have to go from bar the barbarity of living on their own and then becoming a tribe and then conquering other tribes and then forging a civilization and making that civilization one that encompasses all. They might mm -hmm. be slaves during the period of time that they're at the Institute, but once they leave, they're going to enter into a civilization where they are once again top dogs on this food chain. And the goal of the Institute was really to help them understand how they became the ones on top. Right. What did the rest of civilization have to go through? What did every what what did we spend centuries slogging through in order to put you at this spot? Megan, I love the way that you said this is about crafting a civilization. Mm -hmm. And it, it takes this idea of conquering and and Darrow makes a, a, a point where he, he realizes it's not just about winning. It's about forging a civilization. It's about understanding what it takes to make civilization work, especially one where you have to be on top. Well, that's once Darrow comes to realize that that's when he starts to have success. He does. He stops trying to be, stop trying to subordinate everyone starts kind of putting the pieces together in a very unconventional way. And well, and at the same time, he, he takes it to the next level because he's thinking about this in, in the Institute, but he's also very aware that his larger goal is to overthrow the golds yeah. right. and bring the red out of the mines, um, or at least be able to actually win um, each quarter, that extra portion right. that they so desperately want, that they earned, that they still didn't get because the game is rigged. And he... He really wants to make things fair. Red equality. Because he wasn't, he wasn't unhappy in his previous life. He had, you know, he had his family and he had things that he loved. Yeah, I guess he can't, you can't really say that he was happy, but he. He was satisfied because he knew nothing else. Though. Yeah. Because so. I, and I think the difference between him, one of the differences between him and Katniss is that Katniss was never thinking about that larger goal. She she was in a survival of the fittest. Like she volunteered because she wanted to protect her baby sister. Um, but like throughout the whole thing, really, she's just trying to make sure she lives. And then she's trying to make sure she and Peter live. And then, you know, it's she had a very small worldview, whereas Daryl has been forced to take on this much larger view. Um, and he he's had to go through a lot more like the whole reconstructive the surgery yeah. thing like that's. That's way more than Katniss was required to go through. Yeah. Well, and, and Katniss, was, Katniss was not doing it on a—one one of the things that I think sets these two stories apart as well mm -hmm. is that The Hunger Games was being played out as entertainment for all. Yeah. Whereas The Institute is a—it's a crucible. And the only people that are truly uh, eligible to see what's going on are the drafters. Yeah. Uh, the other golds who have significant power who are going to be looking for apprentices that they can then work with and continue to— uh, reinforce this this societal system, mm -hmm. and so when you when you stop and think that um, yes they you know they still have the situation where they're receiving 
boons. They're receiving bounties for doing different things in a very similar way that they did in the in the Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. This is not about an entertainment medium. This is about learning your place and figuring out how to rule a civilization done through a very through a very brutal and a very real object lesson. Well, there there was a little bit of an entertainment aspect to it, also in the sense. And I don't we don't want to you know uh, dissect the book and, and and everything, but in the sense that if you if you succeed, but if you succeed in an entertaining way, or if the drafters those those big high gold families who will you know take you into their their companies, their families, their their fleets, and that if you are successful, if they like you, you're yeah. more likely to which. Honestly, I mean, we live in a, in a capitalist society and honestly liking or being liked by the boss or being liked by the interviewer, yeah, you know, yeah. it's the same thing. It goes a long way. I mean, you, you can't, you're not getting by just based on merit, which is what this is theoretically supposed to be. I, I just air quoted for those who can't see us on video, cause, <laughs> but uh, air quotes don't work on radio. Right. Exactly. You'd think I'd know that by now, but. We need some kind of sound effect. <laughs> An air quote Woo-hoo! sound effect. But <laughs> but uh, uh, Darrow thinks he's trying to turn this into a meritocracy. He thinks he's playing a meritocracy, first of all, and then comes to find out that it's rigged just like everything else that he's ever known. But he's had this idealistic outlook on that he finds out, oh, it's it, it comes back to the fact that he's a 16-year-old kid that's learning that the world isn't. Give you and anything, that's that's so. what I kept coming back to. I, I was thinking about it at one point. And I'm like, wow, these these people have a lot to deal with. And I realized they these are not college students. These uh, Daryl's what seventeen? He starts he's, out he's sixteen and a half seven, or something. And seventeen he, or he ends up being yeah. seventeen. Yeah, I think he what? wins on his eighteenth birthday. Something, yeah. like, something that. like that. I don't know. He, and um, again, I, he's I, a teenager though. Like I I like that in young adult fiction where you're exploring the ideas of these young people who see an establishment and. I mean, young people are like this now where they're they're seeing how the world is and they're like, is that the world I want to be a part of? What do I want my part of the world to be? And so it's it's interesting to be able to explore that a little bit in such a fictional, bombastic, crazy way. You know, and, every, and for, for young people to be able to read that through those eyes. Every generation comes to that moment where mm-hmm. they say, this is the civilization that my father's created mm-hmm. uh, or my mother's or that was cre- that is being handed to me, however it is that you want to say it. This is the civilization that has been created for me. I am going to inherit it. Do I want to keep it or do I want to flush it? Mm-hmm. And um, so often the, the choice is piecemeal. I like this piece of it because it plays for my benefit. Right. I don't like this piece because it doesn't work for my benefit. And this feels an awful lot like what he's feeling like in the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. And it changes as he moves on because he starts realizing, Ken, I think you mentioned this, uh, and Megan, I think you uh, you mentioned this as well, that he, he starts to realize this is a much bigger play. Mm-hmm. This is a much bigger kind of a deal mm-hmm. that he's going to have to deal with, that he's going to have to structure himself into, uh, and that may take decades in order to be resolved. Although I'm sure if we're reading it in a trilogy, it may not span necessarily decades. Who knows? Maybe we'll. It might. I don't know. You know, one of the other things that we compare this to, uh, and I, I want to stay on the comparison just for another moment or so, and that is The Lord of the Flies. Ken, you oh, read yeah. The Lord of the Flies. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about the Institute in comparison to The Lord of the Flies? I, I felt like it was a little bit different, only in the sense that The Lord of the Flies was, it, it was a... Um, Sorry, it was a circumstance bred out of desperation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or bred out of, of tragedy or, or accident. 
that turns into tragedy in, in the sense that, okay, now we're alone and now we're, we got to set up our, our own society and it ends up being, you know, when you have no adult supervision, you turn into brutal little monsters or whatever. This isn't quite the same. It, it, it is though, in the sense that they have supervising technically, but really it's, it's very much everybody for themselves. I mean, look at, look at Titan who ends up being a red and we'll, we should probably talk about him, but he's kind of like the chief, uh, the chief example of we are in a desperate situation. The only way to get out of it is to be hard, to be mean, to be brutal, to go out and take what we can and hang all the rest. Otherwise yeah. we don't survive, which it, it turns out the, uh, the stakes aren't supposed to be as dire as they are theoretically, but they still, I mean, every group ends up being hungry. They end up being cold. They end up being tired. They all end up being desperate in, in some fashion or another. So while it's supposed to be this, this game to, or, or this test to prove how well you work as a team or how well you can rise above, it, it ends up being pretty desperate and people yeah. hack off each other's ears. They uh, end up killing each other in some situations which they're not supposed to, but if it becomes unavoidable, uh, they can. So, or if so, it's yeah, inconvenient it, for the proctors, to or let if it's inconvenient survive. for the proctors, yeah. exactly. And, and so, it does end up deteriorating into a very Lord of the Flies type situation, which I think Darrow navigates pretty well in getting his unconventional uh, gorillas together and stuff. I I love Severo and the wolves, the, the howlers. Several yeah, Severo's my favorite. Was fun. Severo was a fun character, yeah. and the way that uh, the way that Severo's story um, kind of mirrors or 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 follows or moves at a parallel path mm -hmm. to the to the experience that Darrow was having uh, was was quite was quite satisfying. I thought, isn't that clever? It's it's it was interesting. Um, at one point, all of a sudden, something clicked, and I because Fishner was talking about his place in the society, where you know he said, "I am very talented. I should be able to move higher up." than I am. And maybe I will, but I won't be able to move up as high as I think I should and that I probably could. Um, and he's talking about a situation all I could think of was like, you know, for comparing this to like black slaves, um, which I don't want to get too far into because I'm super <laughs> white. Um, but I, I'm just thinking of Fitchner as like one of the white trash kind of people is like, yeah. oh yeah, you're white, but that's about all you have going he's, for he's you. He's gold trash. So we all still kind of, yeah, he's gold trash. He's gold. But then you you find out that Severo is his son, and right. um, Fishner's really just trying to make sure Severo or like help Severo to survive. And um, I I like that you know even though Severo is technically a gold, like he does identify. Well, that's why Daryl can identify with him a little bit. Where he's like, okay, he he may be a gold, but it's kind of like, oh, just in name only, you're not really one of the good ones. You learn yeah. you learn quickly that even in gold society, there's a caste system. That, Ugh, that ugly the, people the are good, always looked down yeah, on. Yeah, the good golds, the Adonis golds, are are treated very well, and the powerful golds. But you know, golds like Fitchner and like Severo, who is ugly and small and a pygmy, or is, what do they call him, a goblin? Goblin. Yeah. goblin they're yeah they're kind of tossed aside and it's like uh you're, yeah you're gold sort of you know it's so let's, well yeah we, several was supposed to be killed like he wasn't right he wasn't supposed to, wasn't supposed to survive. survive he was served up to the uh to, to priam 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 yeah who was supposed to be the, he was the number one draft pick you know he was 
He, he basically he was the number one seed, and and Severo was the hundredth seed. You know, if we're gonna look at mm-hmm. it in a basketball uh, tournament format, and and he was supposed to walk all over him, and and Severo totally. You see him beat his butt, you know? You know, that's one of the things that, that I want to come back to you, and this is a place where, for me at least, the the comparison between Lord of the Flies um, kind of falls apart. Um, Lord of the Flies was based on the idea that these boys found themselves in the middle of nowhere, and they, they have to try and survive on their own, and they just they, they just evolved to a, the lowest level of society that they possibly could get to. Mm-hmm. There was nobody to help them, there was no, and there was no reason for it. It was just sheer survival. In, in our case, the first requirement of the passage is to murder one of your fellows right. in cold blood right. while you're naked and tired in the middle of nowhere and you don't know whether there's and you are and you are unaware of anything going on except that it felt very much like the opening of Saw or of one of the Saw films. Now, I have never seen the Saw films, but for everything that I have seen, the previews and some of the reviews that I've read... It, they they throw these people into these horrible situations where they're being videoed and they say, you know, here's the deal. You can you can die or you can try and get the key out of this guy's stomach. You just have to kill him to get it out and then you can live. I mean, these are these are absolutely horrible beginnings for this institute for yeah. the teaching of children. Yeah. Right. So is this is this a, a does this take us to a level of social commentary? I mean, does this. Does this take this book and throw it immediately into starting to talk about the way that we raise our children? Do we, the way that we are, are building our society and moving it forward? Did you see that, or did you see this as a really gross or or horrific? Uh, I don't want to use the word gross because it wasn't it wasn't necessarily gross, but it's a but it's a very frightening, a very uh, a very unsettling plot device. Yeah, you must now kill and and it based on the way that it was set up, it looks like you are paired in ways that are completely prescribed. Yeah, totally not equal. Because Darrow was paired with the only person that was showing any friendship to him at all. Severo, the lowest of the low, is paired with the top on the list. And Titus was paired with some wimpy little girl. Um, all of these different kinds of pairings, none of which seem to be arbitrary at all. What do you think about that moment? The, um, oh, go ahead. I was going to say the, the death, the, 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 I'm going to call it the, uh, the calling for lack of a better term, but um, I, I saw it more, less as social commentary and more as a typical dystopian plot device, mm-hmm. which I don't want to, you know, speak about a, a, a author's, motivations you know necessarily based on the fact that i've never written a book even though i've tried but it, it just it, it felt it felt like a common device you know okay. it, it, that was that was kind of the hunger games aspect of it. it's like okay you got to kill you know another kid just to get into the game it's yeah like, and or, this... or you get to be killed and and that's so that felt like the Hunger Games absolutely trope type thing absolutely. less than it did yeah uh, i, I somehow commentary. wasn't surprised when it came up no, right. it, it felt like it was being set up pretty well for that. I will say I was very glad that it didn't end up being, okay, now it's just going to be kids killing kids for the rest of the book. You know? Yeah, that was a because nice surprise. That that gets tired. I mean, well, you know, back to the Hunger Games. I and mean, I may not have thought about it that deeply at the time, and now you're asking me these questions, and I'm thinking about our society and how everybody gets a trophy just for participating. 
Um, and I, I, I've been in situations, I've never had to kill any of my friends or been asked to kill any of my friends. I just want to say that as a disclaimer. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Craig just gave me a thumbs up. So as that's one of nice. your friends, I appreciate yeah, it. But yeah, but I, I was worried I, that a ring was going to be thrown I mean, into I do this like room. a lot of musical theater and that kind of thing. And I have been up against really good friends, like some of my best friends for roles. And sometimes they get the role and sometimes I do. And, you know, there's one girl who I really consider my nemesis, even though she is my <laughs> friend. But I just want her to not audition for a show I want to do once. Okay. Um, but it's... Yeah, it's this moment where somebody has to come out the victor. And I hate that in this situation, somebody had to die. Like, I really hoped that they would find some other solution somehow. Yeah. Um, I was very disappointed that that didn't happen. But I like I, I was glad that they didn't linger too long on that event. Um, and that that ended up not being what the book was about. One of the things for me that I was I was really hoping that in the science fiction standpoint, mm -hmm. it was going to go into a place where we were going to find out that, oh, this is a full immersion experience where they are uh, they are in the framework or they are they are oh, yeah. in the oasis and oh, yeah. all of this is being done. <laughs> uh, and the one who doesn't survive is doesn't get to continue on in the Institute. But guess what? We're going to find out that they're actually alive later yeah. on and blah, blah, blah. And no, that was, yeah, that was the first, that was the, for, for me, that was the first thing that I went, what kind of a sick book am I reading? Well, and again, like we're reading it from the point of view of the Reds and you know, this, all of a sudden he's thrown into this gold society and oh yeah, this is what gold people. And he's like, oh, okay. I kind of see where the governor is coming from now. Like, um, uh, Okay, if yeah. they have to do this, like, okay, I guess I have to, you know, it's, it's if human part of... Li if human life means this little at different times... Right, and especially somebody who I've met and I like, yeah. and they're aware that I like. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's the first moment where he really... Re well, I don't know if it's the first moment, but it's one of the first moments where he realizes what the stakes are and that he really has to play along. And not only and that it's he... it's really not his style. And not only that the stakes are this high for now mm -hmm. but he starts to understand why he went through some of the conditioning that he went through mm -hmm. and some of the training yeah. and why the carving that he had to go through all of those other kinds of things had to be so horrific to see yeah. if they would break him earlier recognizing that he was going to have to go through all these things later yeah. on it makes me wonder um there's a there's a part in the book where dancer says yeah we've tried this before and let this this brings us back to that question about titus yeah we've tried this before we've tried to get this to work and it's never worked We've never gotten anybody on the inside, and yet it sounds like Titus ha or Dancer has lots of information that he's passing on to the to make sure that Darrow is carved. In, by the which, by the way, I think that section where they were talking about some of the things that they were doing, the genetic manipulation, mm -hmm. the splicing, oh, that man. was some of the best science fiction stuff. Isn't that yes. cool? I loved that piece. Ah, I just thought, how much medical knowledge do you need to it, be able to make that? That's so great. It felt very much up. for me like the like the first third of the book was mm -hmm. where we were doing all of the science fiction stuff. And then we get into this other two thirds of the book, which was... Cultural political? Um, well, some cultural oh, political. A lot of punching. A lot of punching. Punchin'. Oh, punchin'. We're going we're gonna so to get, get there, Ken. We're going to get there. While we're here, though, I want to take another Reddit comment. Yeah, um, cool. Because our friend Roxilla... <gasps> hey! Yay! Um, asks, what did you think of Severo and his dad, and why do you think Titus and Darrow turned out so differently? So it was right into what we were talking about right here. So why... What was the difference? You know, I I, and I, I would love to know De uh, Titus's backstory. I'm hoping that comes up in book two or something. I bet it won't. I bet I, we I bet we won't not. get it. 
Um, Darrow gives us a glimpse. Well, the writer gives us a glimpse through Darrow thinking about it, and it's it's kind of a twofold realization. And I'm I'm assuming you guys were the same as me that as soon as as soon as Titus, as soon as the author has Titus use the phrase "bloody damn," mm-hmm. right? Um, which was you know for me. As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, man, Dancer is such a liar. Yeah. I wonder, <laughs> and, and Darrow's thought process, how many others have gone through this? Here's the deal. Um, the, the obvious nature of um, Titus was revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was revenge from the beginning. It was revenge all the way along. When he got into the when he got into the place where he could exact his revenge against the golds, it's always been about revenge. And whether it was right. revenge against the little girl or revenge against anybody else. He was going to get his revenge. Darrow was motivated by loss, not by a desire for revenge. He want he was he was devastated by the loss of Eo's dream, uh, or by the loss of Eo. Yeah. And when he was told Eo's dream didn't have to be for nothing, then this idea of the loss that he experienced. It's not about now wanting to get revenge. It's about wanting to make sure that her death was not in vain. And I think yeah. that that uh, piece of moral character is what separates Darrow from Titus. Well, and he's also trying very hard to do what Eo would want him to do, to live her wishes. And she wanted him to fight back. She wanted him to, she knew that he was special and that he could do something to really help his people. Sure. Yeah. Um, and he's trying really hard to live up to that. He and wasn't might, sure he could do it, and he's, I don't know, he's doing pretty well so far. It might be as simple as that. He has something to anchor his perspective. You know, he has somebody like Eo to inspire him to stay, what? Grounded? Focused? This is a. Well, and the uh, fact that he's not a gold, like he's a red. He did yeah. not grow up with these, he had very different experiences. And, they talk about how like all of these uh, these kids probably they'd always like they were getting pimples and going what is this and red is just <laughs> or Darrow's just laughing on the insights like you all are so coddled and you've been living your whole life pretending to be your parents I've been living my whole like I've for the last five years four years I've been drilling in a hot terrible place smelling like urine and it's just for you don't even benefit. know. For, for your, your benefit, benefit. I'm yeah. because wise, you all lied to me. Streetwise greaser, and you're the the preppy soch. You know, there's whatever. there is a and and oh, my fair lady that yeah. and and I'm and I would love to I would love to dive into some level three stuff on this. I'm not sure we're going to have enough time because what I want to do first, I want to talk about some level one punch and stuff. Um, <laughs> that this story moves. I think yep. we all agree that that it really flies. Yeah. Does it fly because of the punchin, or does the punchin fly because the story is feeling like it's carrying us along this idea of getting getting a, a change in the civilization? Which do you, which which did it feel to you? That's a good question. I honestly, I'm not sure. I think it just it flies because the action is so good. It just he, I I don't know, I don't know what. Uh, kind of research Pierce Brown did to, uh, you know, to, to prepare for this, for the entire last three fourths of the book, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of it, especially the stuff at the end when they, when they storm Olympus and that it feels, it feels kind of like standard fare 
action sequency stuff. Yeah, you know, lots of explosions. Yeah, lots, lots of ex lots of surprise. Bad guy getting thrown off a building. Yeah, lo lo <laughs> lots of the the common stuff. But getting getting to that point using the the twelve different uh, the twelve different tribes in different locations, and you got to find them, and you never know when one's going to come up on you. And and using using the unknown uh, as a tool to drive the action is brilliant. I mean, the, yeah. from the very first Cassius and and uh, Daryl, there we go, go after the food, knowing full well it's a trap. It's like, oh, that smells like a trap. Yeah, let's go get it, you know, and stuff. And and so it starts out as fun, and then they run from the the series uh, faction on horses, and they're like, okay, this is fun, this is a blast, and then it turns very much not fun quickly when they start running out of water and they start realizing, Oh, we don't have, you know, this, we got to make these things work. And all of a sudden you have to, you have to figure out how to raid the other groups versus work with the other groups mm -hmm. and, and make your own faction work without, you know, finding out that it, being a dictator doesn't work. So you've got to figure out the, the measured hand for that. And then you throw in, you know, the betrayal, not, well, it's a betrayal by Cassius. Cassius, right? Yeah. Yeah. After, after, you know, he kills his, Daryl kills his brother, which he brings up necessity. later. It's like, what do you, what do you want me to do? I mean, roll over and die for him. Come on. It's... You wanted me to die instead. And Cassius is, uh, I don't yeah. know. There's, there's no good answer. I, I, I oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'll just finish with this. I think the point is the all level one action punch and stuff is successful when it is driven by by weight, by gravity or okay. stakes. And and this isn't mindless, senseless, you know, throw down punching, which some of that stuff is a lot of fun. Like when they raid uh, uh, Diana House. Yes. You know, some of that is fun, but it, it's all driven by something. And that's what puts, that's what puts heft to a good level one story. Okay. Okay. I, I was, I was going to say something similar. Probably not as eloquently, but um, I was going to say something along the lines of, I feel like the story is written, the structure is just really well done in that all of the action and the punching, I didn't ever feel like anything was egregious. I didn't feel like anything ever went too long. It, you know, it was, there's enough in there that I knew what was going on and it was exciting and, you yeah. know, but like there wasn't so much that it made me sick, um, you know, Game of Thrones. And uh, <laughs> I... Yeah, I just, I felt very engaged. I wanted to, sometimes if I'm in a hurry, I'll like skip over action sequences and just, oh, okay, so this person's is fine. And oh, okay, this person wins. That's great. Okay, yeah. and I'm continuing. And I never wanted to do that in this story. One of the things that, that I appreciated about this was that, oh, no, that was mentioning to Ken. I got one more thing to say before he, because he's pointing at oh, something. Yeah. Um, Todd just, hold on. he just put his finger up in the air, and I'm like, what, are we, is that raising your hand? No, that was, that was, excuse me, can that, I go? That was the Ken. I just want to say one thing before Shoot, Ken brings up now I know that coach. we can do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you did it to Ken. You just did it with a, yeah, something like that. Um, no, there was a, the, 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 one of the, one of the things that was interesting to me, I, as, as much as it feels very much like, um, like the the battle sequences, the all of the fighting, all of that, all of that institute experience was very carefully thought through, and mm -hmm. it was it was paced appropriately, and the, the there was a right amount of of conflict in there. But it was it was also structured in such a way that that conflict was then allowed to be mirrored on top of this story about. And Megan, you mentioned this too. 
about what his longer game is going mm-hmm. to have to be. I need to understand this, not if I, not just if I'm going to rule as a gold, but if I'm going to overthrow the golds. I need to understand yep. how important it is to have uh, people on the inside, not just if I'm going to be successful in politics, but if I'm going to be successful politically destroying my enemy, my real enemy, which is all of these kids that I'm fighting with. Mm-hmm. There were some, the, the, the author does a wonderful job of using the punching sections, not just for their own benefit, but to really lay the groundwork for the next two novels of being able to say, no, I learned these lessons in the Institute. Yep. You taught them to me. And so when I use them to dismantle your society, you have only yourself to blame. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that his very first test is that he has to kill his friend because I just wonder how many more of his friends he's going to have to, like his new gold friends or other people he may have to sacrifice or yeah. I don't know, in order to protect his, <laughs> or, his family and his original. And how many of his family he's going to have to sacrifice mm-hmm. because maybe he gets himself in a situation where he's going to be dealing with, with his own Lycos clan. And he's going to have to do things if he's if he's not at a place to be able to start the rebellion. He's certainly going to have to do things that are going to be in keeping with a goal to keep his yeah. cover. And they won't know who he is, but he definitely knows who they are. Yes. Yeah. So I think that, there's going to be some interesting things. That Kim, be we've got another Reddit thing you want to uh, pull up? Yeah, let's, uh, our old friend Craig, I mean Jeff Wu, sorry. Jeff Wu! Jeff Wu! He doesn't. <laughs> Did you I guys? Do. I do. I've seen the conspiracy. Okay, theory. you saw the conspiracy theory. <laughs> That's why All I'm right. saying it at you. <laughs> He's All blushing. Right. Did anybody else see his blush? He blushed. Craig doesn't blush. Okay, Jeff Wu doesn't blush. It's either. funny that he's not on this episode, but he's still totally a big part of the episode. Well, Continue. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Jeff Wu, we asked about the similarities to Hunger Games, which I think we've covered. He says, also, was anyone else irritated by how much the author enjoys throwing curveballs that the reader never could see coming? All of his twists seem to come like that, where Darrow knows something that you don't, and you're just kind of expected to pick it up and run. Did that catch anybody else? Um, you know, there's a there's a couple of things about that that um but i think that's i think that's more an illustration of uh of author's choice and maybe of an author's inability to find different ways to be able to put that information forward um i'm not going to say that it was irritating but i will say that it, that i became very familiar with the fact that i was going to read and as i felt like i was starting to be able to predict where the action was going i knew there was going to be a curveball thrown so was it annoying i'm not sure did that mm-hmm. you know if it continues to be that way throughout the next two books, um, I'm not sure. I'll get an opportunity to decide one way or the other. Well, and I, you know, I'm, I just think about how in every Brandon Sanderson book, there's a ton of that where I'm just like, what? How is that? I mean, um, so I just kind of take it as it is and just enjoy it. Every time something comes up, I go, what? That's okay. Let's go with that. Because I just, this is why I don't write novels. That's funny. I have to bring this up because Redeemed by X mentions in response to Jeff Wu's question, these curveballs got me even more frustrated in the next two books, or got more frustrating in the next two books, in his oh opinion. Boy, oh, no. In short, he says, in short, nothing's off the table when the author can pull something out of thin air for a plot device. Very different styles from Rothfuss or Sanderson. Yeah. You look S- at you two. You two are Sander- so smart. Sanderson does <laughs> something with this too, but what Sanderson does is he gives the curveball to everybody so that the characters have to deal with the curveball. In, uh. in in this book in these books, 
Darrow is the one pulling the curveballs, and he pulls them out and uses them against everybody. So the author, so the reader is on his sure. journey where Darrow is really controlling it. He now, does he does set it up a little well, bit though at the beginning where he talks about um, how he has that level of intelligence where he can. Okay, my level of intelligence just went down. I can't think of what it's called. <laughs> where he's where he's able to have divergent thinking yeah. in those kinds of situations. Where he's able to kind of make up off on the fly. And let me yeah. and let me suggest that that is a time honored tradition among authors the likes of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, yeah. who yeah. was always giving Sherlock Holmes some piece of information that was completely hidden from the readers, yep. which allowed him to turn around and look at Watson and say, elementary, my dear Watson. Yep. Well, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, as long as you understand the ground rules going into a yeah. series. And and that's fine. I mean, if that's if that's what Pierce Brown is going to do, that's, I mean, that's what you can watch for and expect. I, I think it's also an indicator of our level of experience reading science fiction and fantasy, because... I basically expect curveballs at every turn. Now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and they might not happen. I'm just watching for, okay, where's the curveball here? Oh, it didn't happen that time. Where's the curveball? That's going to be the curveball here. You know, we're we're just kind of conditioned now to watch for them. They do feel like they're mm -hmm. being set up pretty well, though. I didn't, I the, the one thing that I felt like was they weren't coming out of the middle of nowhere. They were, they, they were being telegraphed. Um, but not necessarily being telegraphed to the characters in the story. They right. were being telegraphed to the reader because of the way that Daryl's thinking was going. Right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of something telegraphed, um, I'm just going to make a prediction. We may not, may or may not ever know, but his wife, before she was hanged, like had some big secret that she told her sister. Right. Who we else thinks that she was pregnant? Like, or was it something bigger than that? I, Wait, I don't, I don't know. We didn't really get to know her well enough to know what it maybe could have been. Yeah, no, we didn't. Um, and it's, I don't what know. else could it have been? But it, like, why would it matter? And at the same time, that's, that would totally up his. That's the only reason I would say. Quotient. That's yeah. the only reason I would say say no is because at this point, what what good could it do, or what? The other, but then why even bring it up? That, the other know? possibility could be that she that perhaps the secret was that she knew that the uncle was connected with the sons of Aries. Yeah, something to that effect. And that you know, there, and that this. But then why not tell him that? Because if she tells him, he fights it even more because he'd already said uh, that he hated the sons of Aries. Because he's like me. Yeah. Total Slytherin. he hated the sons of Aries. Doesn't yeah. like to be told what to do. So um, we, we are getting kind of close on time. I want to kind of bring us back to a couple of things, but I did want to ask a question. Um, did you guys see very much level three in this book? We've talked about some level one stuff with all the punch, and we talked about a little bit the level two, the societal stratification. We didn't get a chance to talk about it a lot, but I would love to at some point in time. Maybe we will in some of the other books. Um, and how that impacts or maybe comments on the social stratification that we currently live within. And for those of you who don't believe that we do, boy, um, <laughs> you really need to, you know, maybe stop reading the book and look around for a little bit and then get back into the book. Um, but but what about level three stuff? Did you see very much in the way of level three being woven through this story at this point in time? I didn't see as much in this one. Um, I, I Clearly there was some, especially because Daryl's got to, He's got to uh, learn what he's experiencing in this world of, you know, in this gold world. He's got to understand. And, and well, and I think he comes to understand that, that the society isn't much different than what he was dealing with in red society in terms of, you know, there are there are haves who kind of get the they, they get the uh, um, assistance, you know, or, or they, they get the rigged deck, I guess, the benefit yep. of the rigged deck. 
versus the people who are, are trying and think they're doing well and then they get the rug pulled out from under him and he realizes that's the same thing in, in mm -hmm. gold society as it is in red society. And so now his perspective has to change a little bit instead of going in saying all of these golds are evil and I'm going to knock down the system. Suddenly he's, he's realizing that while surprise, surprise life is not nearly as cut and dry as I thought it was. Okay. So. Um, I, I uh, don't know how much to share. I, um, my my first thought, I know we don't have that much time left, but my first thought with level three is just that he keeps talking about how family is the most important thing, mm -hmm. um, where his whole his whole world at the beginning is his cute little wife and um, you know making sure that she's fed and making sure that he's take she's taken care of, and when he is winning. Um, the laurel. The laurel, his thought is, oh my gosh, she's going to be so excited to cook something with sugar and she'll look so beautiful in something, you know, and it's just, and the fact that woven throughout this story, it's him mourning for her and trying to honor her legacy. Um, just my other thought, just very personal. I've been laid off from my third job in like the last eight years which is one of the most frustrating things, not fired, but laid off because they, I don't know, needed to cut costs or something. And it's one of those things where they put you in a room and they say, you work so hard and you're so great and we love you, but we've decided we don't want to pay you anymore. They don't say that, but it's basically the gist. Um, you know, and so I'm so sorry, but we have to let you go. Here's what we're willing to do for you while you're looking for your net. And it's just like, well, Okay, because you kind of think in your mind, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna find a job and I'll get a 401k and I'll get insurance and I'll work this job and I'll work really hard and be super useful. And I have not actually found that to be like a safe position where I'm I'm in this this point where I'm trying to decide what I want to do next. Um and so I I look at the whole unfairness of this society and this book when he doesn't win the laurel and I just that's when I started yelling at the book and there were other times when I started yelling, but I'm just like, no, people, I know that life isn't fair, but people deserve to know that what they do matters and that other people see it and that they appreciate it and that they're not just going to toss you out because, you know, I don't know, for whatever reason, because corporations and I'll survive. I've always gotten a better job after I've been laid off, but it's, <laughs> it's just a really like just reading this book at this time hit a little bit. Too close to home because in that situation. Just because you're necessary doesn't mean you're important. Yeah. I hate that. Well, and there's so much work still to do. Anyway. I understand. I have so much I could say. But anyway. I'm, I didn't cry. I'm so happy. <laughs> you're better. <laughs> I was so close, better, but I didn't. Just a, just better a, than I am. And <laughs> everybody who listens to this podcast knows that's much better yeah, than I am. I but, say, you're not the only person on this but podcast. But poor Daryl, <laughs> he has that disappointment where he just wants this so much for his wife and his family and he wants the security and he wants to be able to take care of her and he can't. Yeah. And then he has to pull her legs to make sure that she dies. That is, that's the most that tragic was, thing. Of, that was one of oh the most, gosh. that was one of the most painful moments in the book for me as well. Yep. Um, it, it ranks up there with a few others, but yeah, it was pretty brutal. By the way, this is, this is a, um, kind of a change from where we're, where we were, That's but, cool. but that, that scene where he has to, where he has to pull her legs to break her neck so that she dies because Mars gravity is not strong enough to actually, you know, yeah, she'd suffocate because well, she weighs of, like 82 yeah, pounds and she weighs like nothing because she's a low level red who gets nothing. Yep. But that, that's a chapter 
um, which is chapter six, I think. And then chapter, I think it's chapter 19 where he has to kill Julian. And then the chapter where Cassian, Cassius, um, stabs him, runs him through, you know, for vengeance of his brother. Those three are the, the particular examples, but man, Pierce Brown is such a powerful writer. We went on for weeks and weeks in our, in our, um, King Killer Chronicle series about what a great prose author Patrick Rothfuss is and everything. And, and what a, what a fantastic writer was. He's got, this guy is, is right on par. If, if nothing else, I was going to say he's got nothing on, on Pierce Brown, but I don't want to short shrift Patrick Rothfuss, but, but Pierce Brown is fantastic at writing those emotional beats and just making every important poignant moment stick. He did such a good job with that. But again, I don't feel like anything was super but it, it, it didn't, yeah, where he, it didn't feel ham-fisted or anything. Yeah. It felt real. I, and I don't know if it's because of the likability of the characters, because they really are very likable. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. If, well, at least uh, at least Darrow and his reds are right. really likable. And, and I don't know if that was the reason, but it just it felt like every point stuck and it wasn't ham-fisted or, or, or jammed in there for the point of scoring cheap emotion points it was just well written so good okay um i want to go back really quickly on the on the issue of level three just because i i seem to always gravitate to those level three sure. moments um and which is not bad we Megan expect I, nothing else somebody should <laughs> i'm glad you expect nothing <laughs> we else like it. because you're going to get what you expect okay um one of the things that uh and megan i echo what you what you were mentioning about with uh uh, with the idea of family being mm-hmm. a theme that was woven through this. Um, I like the fact that there were so many contradictions about that, um, but also the use of power and what power was all about. Um, there was a, there's a quote that he has. Um, let's see if I can find it again. I'm looking through my, uh, here it is. It was on, in my, in my version, it was page 381. He says that it, uh, steel is power. Money is power. But of all things in the world, words are power. I look at him for a long moment. Words are a weapon stronger than he knows, and songs are even greater. The words wake the mind. The melody wakes the heart. I come from a people of song and dance. I don't need him to tell me the power of words, but I smile nonetheless. <laughs> um, there's, there's, uh, and I think as we move through this, I think that I, the, I think those two ideas um, of family and power are going to continue to be interwoven. Um, well, yeah, especially now that he has been, quote-unquote, adopted by yeah. the guy he sees as the embodiment of all that of is wrong in the society. Wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so I, I, I think as we watch this, um, and, and there was another, there's another piece of that, that that is all about what creates a family, mm-hmm. um, at least for me. We, we see Augustus saying, you know the words, you have to say the words. He says, yeah, I know the words, I'll say the words. And now I'm your son. Thank you very much, Dad. I get to be your son. Um, and and tick off the little boy that was supposed to win, but I beat him. Um, that like That's not <laughs> going to have any negative consequences along the line. Um, but also this idea of forging his army, his second army, when he says, if you, if you do anything, if you hurt anyone... You have not only hurt them, but uh, you've hurt me. And so you remember the scene, the, the, right. the okay. potential the rape with Nyla, um, and they and and they decide, okay, we're gonna have to whip. Uh, who was it? Was it? It I, was Pax. It was Pax. No, it wasn't Pax. It was uh, 
Starts with the T. I don't remember. Tactus. Something like that, yeah. It was a Tactus. And, and everyone screamed against it and said, no, I can't have this. And he says, now that Tactus has, been, has received his punishment, I'm the leader. I need the punishment. Tactus, you will now whip me. And Tactus can't do it. It's horrified. And so he says, Pax, you will do it. Right. I mean, this, this idea that, that there is a bond that mm-hmm. occurs for us when we see someone willing to suffer for our sake that does something for us. Um, this idea, I think, is is one that we're going to see coming back. I wish this idea was something that is explored a little bit more because in our current society, it feels very much like our leaders believe that leadership is not necessarily an opportunity for them to suffer for our sake, but rather to be rewarded because they can. Yeah. It's not It's not a chance for them to take care of us. It's a chance to see what they can get and how much power they can get. And while that's very much it falls very much within the level two kind of mm-hmm. conversation of of social commentary and all those kinds of things, the fact that he is thinking about it himself uh, and and sharing his ins, uh, sharing the insights with of with the reader about how he feels about these things feels very much like it's a level three escalation. Yeah. Did you have any complaints about the book? Anything that you would say? Yeah, you know, I wish. If I could sit down with Pierce Brown and say, you know, I wish you'd done this, blah, what would you tell him? I think I've hashed out my my gripes um, throughout the story about the things that were maybe formulaic or, okay. or I felt kind of tropey. But, you know, I overall, I thought it was... <clears throat> A ripping good yarn. Yeah. <laughs> you go. I love it. Said, <laughs> said for Craig's uh, benefit. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was said for mine. Well, yours, but Craig was here. Yes. So. <laughs> Megan, what about you? I can't think of anything at the moment. So I'll give you mine. I'm sure they're there, but I can't think of them. Um, I'll, I'll I'll give you mine. I want to hear it. And I don't know if this is I I don't know if this is necessarily something that's going to be rectified as we move further on. But I will also recognize that this is the uh, and and Megan in print. How many pages is this book? It is three hundred and eighty-five. That's kind of what I thought. Something like that. Um, in my in my Kindle version, it came out at about the same level, so I kind of I kind of figured that was the case. Um, one of the things that I have gotten spoiled with by reading uh, Frank Herbert, by reading oh. um, uh, by reading Brandon Sanderson, by reading some of the other authors that we've become very familiar with on the podcast is the amount of character development that ancillary characters receive as well. There was almost none of that going on. We got character development for, uh, for Darrow and we got almost no story arc, no real true development in the other characters. We got, Moments where we, they said, oh, look, I'm going to be your friend after all. Or, oh, yeah. look, we're going to be enemies for forever. Those kinds of things popped in, mm-hmm. but we didn't really see. And that goes along, Ken, a little bit with uh, with, one of, with, with what I think you were saying or what was brought up on the uh, by our Redditor comment was that Roxilla that mm-hmm. said, you know, hey, you know, you bring something out of the middle of nowhere and it f- makes everything fit back together really nicely. Yeah, it's too bad that we didn't see oh, yeah, some was, of Mustang's character development. That was Jafu. Oh, that was Jafu. Um, it's too bad Sorry, that we Craig. didn't get to see some more of Severo's development. It's too bad that we didn't get to see some of Cassius's development mm-hmm. as uh, after Darrow has left. Yeah, we have like six months of a black hole there. Yeah, and so and and all we get, all we get at the end, we get Darrow saying, "I thought he was going to give me a hug," and instead he says he bites off his knuckle and pulls out some blood and spits it out. 
and says, this is a blood feud. And the next time that we share air, one of the two of us will die. Which was exciting. Um, part of part of the problem is it's it's a first person mm-hmm. perspective book. And that I mean, that limits what narration you're going to get to some extent, to some so. extent. Um, but we've we've seen the same kind of we've seen the same kind of thing being done with switching perspectives from person to person by other authors. Yeah. I think it is in part um, a choice by an early author. Um, I think it is also in part a choice to say, how long do I want this first book to be? Do I want it to be 700 pages mm-hmm. or do I want it to be 385 and feel like it's something that can be approachable? That's true. Cause there I, are a lot of other stories that he could have told within this. And I think that we're going to get an opportunity to see some of those. And perhaps that's part of what's being done with some of the rest of the writing. Certainly yeah. that is also something that other authors have chosen to do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ender's Game... Uh, Orson Scott Card. Orson Scott Card, thank you. Couldn't remember his name for the life of me at that point in time. Sorry, Mr. Card. Um, appreciate you, but if you're listening to the I'm podcast, sure we really us. appreciate you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he did the same thing with uh, with Bean. You know, we we see a little bit of Bean throughout Ender's oh, game, yeah. and then all of a sudden we get Ender's shadow, and he gets a chance to tell all of the same story, but now from Bean's perspective. So it's not uncommon for an author to say, gee, I'm going to stick with this one story, mm-hmm. and the character development that I'm going to give these ancillary characters is just enough to drive my story, but not enough to drive their story. Right. That's if if there is a if there is a criticism on my part, um, something that I've gotten used to, it's that. Yeah. Um, and I would like to have seen, maybe not in all of the ancillary characters, but maybe one or two. I would like to have seen a little bit more of that development, and maybe he felt like he was putting it in, and I just am demanding more. Well, but and that's also just my he, deal. you know, as I mentioned before, he is writing this. Um, for a younger audience. And if they really are trying to see it, you know, first person, this is as if, as if I were living this and I'm changing my worldview, they, he'd really only want that story because yeah. it's, it's just the one person. And that may be a, a big piece of it as well. Final uh, thoughts. What do you think? Um, really, the, the only final thought I have and it kind of bounces off of yours, I, I would like to see, I'm anxious to see more development, yeah. more uh, of the bigger picture. Now that we get out of this, institute or uh, at the institute yep. now that we get out of the institute I, i'm excited to see i mean we spent a whole lot of time with with reds and with golds and, and so now i'm interested to see how some of these other cast systems work i want to see how blues mm-hmm. work and greens and violets and obsidians and all of this i want to see how they they work together i want to get some perspectives on that i want to i hope to see how some of these other characters develop now that they're out of the institute and i'm interested to see to, to get out into space i want to see some of the other worlds and see how some of the space technology works okay megan yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing how this goes i want to know what daryl's going to be doing like is he going to be living with the arch governor um in that situation is he going to be like partners with the jackal does the jackal still only have one hand like i oh yeah i don't know my questions are very small. I just want to know what's going to happen next. Okay. But I take it from both of you that you're looking forward to reading the rest yeah. of, the, of the series. Oh, yeah, yeah. I already yeah. have the second book from the library. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and, I'm in on the second. And recommendation, yeah, people people should read this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If, especially if you want uh, if, if you want fun, uh, action that... <laughs> Ken, your idea of fun scares children well, and mothers of children <laughs> as well. I shouldn't say fun in the sense that I want to go through it, but fun in the sense of the book engages you and leaves you going, okay, what happens next? Okay, what happens next? Yeah. You know, leaves you wanting to turn the next page, then yeah, this is yeah. this is fun. I 
I know a lot of people who I would recommend this to, but I'm, I'm kind of like you where I don't think it's necessarily everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. I think my nephew would really enjoy it. Um, I, I love it when we're reading the same books at the same time. So <laughs> I may text him right now, but um, yeah, I, I would say I would recommend it with exceptions just because like you said, it's, it is kind of more of a, a juvenile story and it doesn't it it's just telling it from the one point of view so it seems a little bit smaller at this point yeah it may it may grow um in perspective in future novels but at okay. this point and i think we're in agreement um i i certainly enjoyed the book um it's i i'm not sure that i'm i'm, I'm not sure yet uh mm. if it's going to go into my top 50 all time um but i i certainly enjoyed the read i'm hopeful of two things the first thing that I'm hopeful of is that um, we will we will get more science behind the science fiction, that it will not just be yes. a trope that we use to say, you know, hey, this is we're, we're just going to we have to figure yeah. out how to get from point A to point B. He just dumped a whole lot of information into his brain and now he knows history. Yeah, right. I, I really I, I would like to explore mm. some more aspects of that. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that we're going to get some more science of the science fiction. Um, the other thing that I'm hoping that we're going to do is that now that he is out of the school, out of the institute, and he's starting to work with adults, that we're going to get more adult politics yep. more adult kind of storylines and i don't mean that as in bam chicken bam bam but uh <laughs> more from the He's already more, been there. more from the standpoint of i really hope that now that he's figured out how to build alliances in the institute we start seeing how he's going to have to build alliances in a political system that mm -hmm. is far bigger far older far smarter and mm -hmm. far more ruthless mm -hmm than he is used to. Well, and he's, and he's already stepped on a whole bunch of powerful toes. Yeah. So he's, he comes out of the Institute, a whole bunch of he comes out of the toes. Institute with lots of known friends and lots of known enemies. Yep. So what does that do to him? And yeah, and nobody knows what he's going to do next. And what do we, what I, I, I think, including us, I think not only is this going to be a ripping good yarn, but we're going to have lots of fun going through it. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, thank you very much for those of you that have been listening. Hopefully you agree with us. If you disagree with us, let us know. If you agree with us, hey, tell us that too. Uh, join the conversation on Reddit. Let us know what, you, uh, what you're hoping to see from these next upcoming books. And if there are certain things that you want us to be aware of, Ken is always trolling those, uh, those conversation threads to make sure that we talk about them while we're here. Um, so don't hesitate to let us know about things that you found that you would like us to explore and to talk about on some of our upcoming podcasts. In two weeks, we'll be reviewing the next one in the series, which is... Golden Sun. Golden Sun. Golden Sun. Sun, S-O-N. Uh, so. And we'll go from there. In the meantime, uh, happy reading. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.